Thank you, David. You're not as pretty as Stephanie or as cute as Isabel, but boy, you did a good job. All right. I wanted to sit with Kenya. She's up here on the front row all by herself because her front row community has gone this week. Pastor Mark's out of town. Isabel and Christian are out of town. Um, Elvis was here, but he said he didn't feel well, I guess. And he, so uh, I just wanted to sit with her as long as I could. So, but I love, I love, I love the front row. You guys are going to amen me. Okay. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's all yours. Turn to the next person over the other side and say, it's all yours. You know, when my kids come home from school, I got uh, four, four high, three, three high schoolers now, and then a college, two high schoolers, and two college, living at home. How many do we have living at home? Four. How many are in high school? How many are in college? Okay. Two. No, we have two in college. Lila's not living at home, and Sam's not living at home? Right. See, look. She, she actually, her IQ is over 150. She's Mensa, right? But the chemo, no, the chemo has leveled the playing field for us. So now, now we're, we're the same. All right. (laughs) When our kids come home, they don't come home from school and stand at the front door and do this. Mom, dad, can I come in? Right? They don't stand there and knock. They don't do this. Mom! Dad! I want in! I want in! They don't back up and say, I'm going to bombard the door of my home. And they don't come out and rush into... No, they don't do that, right? What do your kids do when they come home from school? They just walk right in through the door. A lot of times they don't even close it. They go straight to the fridge, right? Or the pantry. They get what they want to eat. They may or may not acknowledge your presence. They go upstairs and they take a nap, right? Because it's their house. The other day, Sam texts me, just got his driver's license, and he says, Hey, Dad, can I borrow your car so I can go over to so-and-so's house? I said, Yeah, sure. A few minutes later, I thought, Well, I'm going to go get something out of my car before he takes it. I went into the garage. The car was gone. He had already taken it. And then he texted me and asked me if he could use my car. Yeah, a couple weeks ago, I'm up here preaching, right? I had Bozo the Clown, if you guys remember that message. I had Bozo the Clown, where I'm talking about the life of Christ in us. You get hit, and you get knocked down, but somehow you get back up. That's the life of Christ in you. That's constantly empowering you and encouraging you and helping you through trials. And I'm up here, right? And I'm I'm hitting the clown. And, of course, Sam jumps up, uninvited, comes up and just kicks Bozo right in front of God and everybody, including our online community, because my kids think... That my house is their house and my church is their church, right? They, they just, they just know that everything I have is theirs. This is the same way it is supposed to be with us and God. I want to talk to us today about how we view Him, how we view God, how you view Him. How you see Him is how you're going to relate to Him. What you believe about God is what you're going to receive from God. And we all have such religious, scary, inaccurate perceptions of who God is and what He did for us. That we say things like, we're bombarding the gates of heaven. I hate that phrase. How does that line up with the scripture, come boldly to the throne of grace?
When we have the wrong perception of who our Father in Heaven is and what He's done for us, we, we short-circuit our connection with Him. I mean, we, you know, like, if I just get a crumb, that's all I need, oh God. I just want a crumb. That's insulting to the Son of God who was sacrificed on the cross for us to have it all. Imagine you living your whole life to building up an inheritance for your children and for your children's children. And let's say you die, you go to heaven, but you're able to see the conference room where they're meeting with the executor of your will. And you've left them a lot, and you worked hard for it. You sacrificed for this inheritance. And it's your joy for your children and grandchildren to have this inheritance. And you're watching them in the boardroom, and the executor says, all right, well, this is he left it all. She left it all. You get it all. And your children are like, oh, no, it was enough just to be born into the family. That's how we relate to God. He sacrificed His Son so that we could have it all. Amen. See, even that right there, some of you argue with me in your mind. Some of you right there like, oh, that, does, that doesn't, that doesn't, I, I'm uncomfortable with that. Well, then who did He die for and what did He give to us? What was His intent? Let's see what the Bible says about this. Because if you're going to think accurately, you've got to think biblically. So listen to what Paul says about this church that Peter would come and preach and say, this is what's yours from the, from, from, uh, from God. And, and then Apollos came down and preached his messages. And then Paul came down to Corinth. There was a, uh, in Corinth where they, uh, they started a church in Corinth over in, uh, uh the Middle East in the Mediterranean. And so these three preachers are coming down and they're preaching and they're all, and so people started gravitating, well, I like Paul and I like what he's preaching. I like Peter, I like what he's preaching. I like Apollos, I like what he's preaching. And this is what the apostle Paul writes to him. So don't boast about following a particular human leader. Can I hear an amen there? Because we're following Jesus. For everything, everybody say this out loud, it's right up there. For everything belongs to you. Whether, now watch what everything is. This is, this is gonna like, some of your nuts and bolts are going to start popping in your brain. Watch this. Whether Paul and Apollos or Peter or the world or life or death or the present and the future, everything, everybody say it out loud, everything belongs to you. And you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. In other words, God owns it all. And everything the Father has, He gave to the Son. And then when you and I give our lives to the Son, everything the Son has, He's given to us. I hate this beggar, begging mentality that that so many believers have when they relate to God. I want to ask for so much, I get in trouble when I show up. Not so I can just burn it all on myself. James, Jesus' half-brother, said this. You you don't have because you don't ask. You ask and you don't get because you just want to burn it on your own selfish pleasures. You see, when the kids come into my home, it's all theirs. But they don't get it all right away because I'm a father. And I dispense as I believe uh, it ought to be dispensed. Because 
you know, not every child is the most responsible, right? And you have, you have the little children, and they get a little bit, and you teach them stewardship, and they get a little older. They take on responsibility. You see them being independent and responsible, so they get more. It's all theirs, but as the dad and as a mom, we, we distribute it as we believe that they are able to handle it. So even though the kingdom of God is all ours, the father still distributes it according to our ability and according to our stewardship and our faithfulness and our ability to be responsible. Can I hear an amen for that? Okay, all right. Everybody just got a little sigh of relief right there. But our our beggar, small-minded, limited, uh, minimalist mentality is not God's mentality. The world is suffering and dying and going to hell. You and I are supposed to be releasing the kingdom on earth. All of it. Like he owns all of it. We're supposed to be feeding the poor, clothing those who need clothing, taking care of the orphans and the widows, reaching the lost. We're supposed to be in the seven mountains of society, the business the business sector, we're supposed to be there and we're supposed to be prospering so that we can advance the kingdom of God with our finances. We are to be in the political arena so we can bring righteousness into legislation. We are supposed to be in the educational arena so that we can bring the truth of God to this next generation. We are supposed to be, obviously, in the religious arena so we can bring the gospel into the face of religion and set people free from false religions. We are supposed to be in, uh, in, the, in the news organizations. We're supposed to be the salt and the light of the world. Jesus' blood paid for every inch of soil on this planet. Every soul. And He wants us to be in every mountain of society. Influencing. But if we are begging God for little crumbs, what are we going to have to offer those around us? Reminds me of a friend of ours, and I'm not saying this to make fun of him. He came from a country that was like poor, poor, like where where my wife and Sam, my my son Sam and my son Ellie just got back from Vietnam. If you haven't followed my wife's story on Facebook, if you're like, well, I don't do Facebook because whatever, find somebody who has Facebook and read her Facebook post. I mean, it is such an amazing story. But she visited. You know, Sam's family who lived 20 miles from the Cambodian border. And for generations they have worked in the rubber tree forest. Where they scrape bark off a tree and then uh, latex pours out of the tree. And they catch it in a bucket and they take it to the rubber factory. And that's where many of the tires and the rubber from around the world, that's the, one of the main sources of that. And his, his, his family's been working there for generations and generations. When they had to give up Sam because when he was born he was two pounds old, two pounds, his twin brother died and Sam had the mangioma tumor on his face and so, so the dad rushed Sam to the hospital four hours away and, a, and the hospital said it'll cost you a hundred and sixty dollars, uh, to be able to, what? To, to admit the two babies. To admit the two babies, yeah. And they had, this family had fifty-seven cents to their name. So they had to leave Sam. The dad's goal in life was to make enough money to buy television that he might see something about Sam somewhere in the world. And so you can imagine when Hope and Sam and Elliot showed up. Whew! 
I'm thinking about people that come from these places of poverty. And, and, uh, so when I was in business, uh, we, uh, we had a, we had a, a little business party with a, at a, at a restaurant just blessing the employees. And one of the employees had come from a, a poverty stricken nation. And we're at the dinner table and then they bring out the dessert tray to show you what desserts there are available. And so my brother said, well, I'll take, uh, I'll take that cheesecake. And Quentin goes, oh man, that's what I wanted. And my brother said, they have more in the kitchen. He had never been to a place that had more than one of anything. He did not come from a place of abundance. We have to understand what kingdom we were born into. When you and I were born into the kingdom of God, it is limitless. God's goodness is so deep, so profound, so pervasive, it is so hard to believe how good God actually is. He has to keep showing His goodness and His mercy and His grace to us. And every time He does it, it just blows us away. Would you agree with me on that point? Look what Jesus says about this. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. He didn't buy it for himself. Look what the Apostle Paul says. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Do you understand what I'm I'm getting at today? If God already gave us His Son, why would He withhold healing? Why would He withhold wisdom? Why would He withhold prosperity? Why would He withhold favor and access? Why would He withhold... What is more valuable than His Son? What does Satan say about this? Then the devil took Jesus up and showed him in a second all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, I will give you all this power and all this wealth, the devil told him. It has all been handed over to me and I can give it to anyone I choose. All this will be yours then if you will just worship me. And there have been people that have been doing this ever since. Uh, people that have raised in church and have singing gifts, musical gifts, and they're worshiping God, and all of a sudden they get this offer from the world, and they just take it. I'm not saying you, you shouldn't if God's called you into it, but if God's called you into that, you better stay close to God. If He hasn't called you into it, and it's just bait, and it's tempting, and you go with it, you lose your soul. Jesus said, what is it if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? He said, if you try to save your life, like, I will take my life into my hands, I get to choose my destiny, I'm going to live independently from God, I'm going to use the talents and the gifts He's given to me for my own purposes. Jesus says, if you do that, you will lose your life. Even if it's not in this life, you'll lose eternal life. So what did you really gain? 
He said, but if you will lose your life, lay down your will, submit to my authority, give me control of your life, Jesus said, you will find your life. Not only in this life will you find his true life of peace and fulfillment and purpose and intimacy with God and all of that, but you also gain eternal life. You know, people think, and some of you may think this today, that if you truly gave your whole heart to God, if you truly yielded your whole life to God, you'd be trading for less. God's boring. God's a killjoy. God's a withholder. God's a taker. He's someone to be avoided. Stranger danger. Right? That is the lie that Satan sold to Adam and Eve at the very beginning. And he's still selling it today because it works. In the very beginning, what was the, what was the root lie that Satan tried to sell into uh, Adam and Eve's mind? Well, let's say Eve, by the way. We'll say Eve. Because the Bible says Eve was deceived, but Adam disobeyed. Adam knew exactly what he was doing. Eve was deceived. Adam disobeyed. But both the deception and the disobedience were rooted in one lie. Do you know what that lie was? What's that? Well, that, well, one part of the lie was you become like God. But what is the insidious part of Satan's lie? What's, huh? Did God really say, right? So he's twisting God's words, which he still does today. But why was he twisting his words? What was he trying to convince them of? God is holding out on you. Okay, what was one of the songs, the last songs we sang? That God is not good. You are good, good. Oh, until you don't heal my friend, until you don't answer my prayers. Oh, until I go through that trial. Where were you? Why'd you let that happen to me? Oh, so we're saying, oh, God is good. And you're thinking to yourself, I really want to believe this. Oh, right. Oh, you never let me down. Yes, you did. Never let me down. Yes, you did. Never let me down. Don't think I don't know what's going on. I live on this planet too. Right? We're singing half of that in faith and the other half is like, yeah, but I've got some questions for you. Right? Anybody going to be honest in church today? Okay, we got one, we got two, the rest of y'all, I don't know, I don't know what to say to you. A bunch of liars. <laughs> Satan's a liar. And if he can get you to believe that God is not good, he can get you to distance yourself from him because he's not safe. And that your life would be much better if you decided how you're going to live your life and not ask God what he wants for your life. That control issue is really the issue between us and God. And so he sows a lie into Eve's mind. Now, he poisoned her thinking toward God. God's goodness was revealed when he emphasized you can have every tree of the garden except for that one. So his emphasis was on every tree of the garden. Look what I did for you. Like, who did God make the garden for? Them. He didn't make them for himself. Do you know that God doesn't do anything for himself? He does everything for others. Who did he create the worlds for? 
He created heavens and the earth. And then He created Adam and Eve and says, look what I just did. Here, name all the animals. Here, take dominion over the earth. That's how Satan could say to Jesus, all of this has been given to me. And I can give it to whomever I will. What? What? How could, how could all the worlds and all the kingdoms belong to Satan? God made them. Because God gave them to Adam and Eve. And Satan convinced Adam and Eve that God is not good and to, 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 to disconnect from God and live your own independent life. And when they did that, everything Adam and Eve had, Satan owned at that point. Because they came out from underneath God's authority. When you do that, you come underneath the devil's authority. There's no in-between. Life is a spiritual game of war. And we are the pawns in the middle. We are the prize. We are stuck in between God and Satan. And they're both calling us. And they're both drawing us. The world is drawing you every day, trying to draw you in. Especially the young people, trying to draw you guys in. Trying to tempt you. Trying to, trying to, all the shiny objects and all the things that, you know, everybody's running after. And God is trying to draw you. Because he understands how dangerous it is to be living outside from underneath his covering, his authority, his fatherly care. And so, God creates heaven to the earth and delegates them to Adam and Eve. When they blew it, he, he, he said, put me in a box and carry me around with you. And everywhere you bring the box was the Ark of the Covenant. You'll have victory in battle. Who did he do that for? Was it for himself? It was for them. How about when they were in the desert? Quail falling out of the sky. Bread coming out of the earth. Water coming out of a rock. At nighttime when they're cold, a pillar of fire to give them light and warmth. At daytime when the sun was going to cook them, a cloud to protect them and make it, let, let them be cool and not burn up in the heat, heat of the day. Who did he do all that for himself? No, he did it for us because he's a great dad. He's a great father. And then... He sees our sinful plight and he sends his son. Jesus did not come down here for himself. Then he breathes his spirit into us. Then he creates the church for a family for us. And right now it says he's praying for us. He also says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Who is heaven for? It's not a trick question, right? I've led you all. I mean, it's been us all the way to this point. I'm not going to do a hard left on you right here. Who's heaven for? Us. Who's he coming back for? But Satan convinces them that God is not good. That's why this is called the good news. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? This good news that I've just been talking to you about, somehow Satan is so good at lying that he can convince people that this is bad news. It's incredible. I mean, think about how insidious he is. Eve and Adam were in the Garden of Eden where everything was pristine and perfect in the presence of God. Even in that perfect environment, you can be deceived if you listen to his lies. I remember a, a, 
I remember a, a family in our church. So sweet. They sat right in the front row. They were with us for like five years. We never had a crossword. We never had a conflict. They were so sweet. They were so happy to be here. They said, we wanted to find a church. We came to your church first, and we never went to look for another church. We were going to. We didn't need to. And they were just wonderful. And then one day, he calls me on the phone. And he's just like, such challenged me on one of my doctrines. Do you believe blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, uh, you know, let me ask you a question first. Because he was just going at me, right? And I could hear the tone of his voice. I thought, I've never heard this tone before. And I asked him, I said, have you been listening to AM radio? He was like, uh, yeah. Have you been listening to so-and-so? Because I could hear this guy that was on the radio that felt it was his job to rid the body of Christ of heresy. And that would include anything that's supernatural. It's from the devil, it's witchcraft. And certain doctrines, right? I mean, he was just like, thought it was his job to separate the chaff from the wheat. And I said, have you been listening to so-and-so? And he got really quiet. He's like, how did you know that? I said, because I can hear his spirit in you. I can hear his attitude and his tone in you. And he just completely calmed down. And I said, I'll answer your question, but your attitude, this isn't you talking. You see, this this guy got into his brain, into his mind, and started shaping his perception of us. And it changed us, our relationship. Another family in the church, they were with us for 17 years. We, they, again, not one conflict. This, they had, we had home groups in their home. They did also, we did train in their home. They served in the children's church. They were in leadership with, oh my gosh, we had miracles. They had miracles that took place in their family. Precious family. And then, all of a sudden, they, their attitude toward me and us started changing. And I was trying to figure this out. And I thought, you know what? I think it started happening when they started hanging out with that person that came to our church. And they had this little holy huddle, which wasn't very holy. And so, and then it just kind of spread like cancer. And that person ended up leading the church. That family left the church. And a bunch of other young families left the church. And so... Um, right before this family that we used to have this sweet relationship with left the church, uh, we had, we had dinner with them. And I said to them, I said, I'm going to ask you a question. We never had a problem. And then you started hanging out with so-and-so. And your attitude started shifting and changed. I could feel it. What was that about? What happened to us? And she was honest. She said, well, you know, we would have a meeting with you. Uh, me and this other person, with the three of us would have a meeting about one of the ministries in the church. And I would think everything was great. We'd leave the office, your office, and then she would say, you know when he said this, that you know what he meant by that, don't you? And she started like changing her perception and undermining everything I said, distrusting my leadership and authority. And I remember when I first met this gal, I could tell... Uh, she told me a story about her mom who had been wounded by leadership in their previous church. And I could tell she had a distrust of authority. And I thought, you know, that will work itself out in time. We're just going to love her and she's going to see that this place is a safe place and it's all going to be okay. Man, I wish I could. How many of you would like to have do-overs? Anybody want to have like a do-over or two in life? I wish. When I saw that, I wish I just called it what it was, sent her to Rick for some sozo, get that thing healed up before we put you in leadership. Because that became an insidious distrust of leadership where she's poisoned the minds of many. 
That's what Satan did to Eve. That's what he tries to do to you and I and our perception of God. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Oh my gosh, I cannot believe I'm out of time. Just give me a second. I'm gonna. I gotta cut out a whole bunch here. Yeah. If you're listening online, we're still here. I'm just thinking. All right, I'm going to read two scriptures to you, and we're going to wrap this up. My main intention today was to fix our perception of God. So that when we come to Him, we come to Him as the benevolent, giving, merciful, patient, faithful, grace-filled God that He is. The God who came and said, I have come not to serve, to be served, but to serve. What God says that? What God in the history of the planet says, I have not come to be served, I have come to serve you. That's why Peter was like, you're not washing my feet. Peter knew that Jesus was the Son of God, and the Son of God is coming to wash our feet. No, Peter said, no. And Jesus says, if you don't let me, you can't be a part of me. And Peter says, okay, wash my hair too. Like, okay, I don't understand what's going on right now because you're God and you're serving me. The humility of God. We just have such a beggar mentality. Look what the book of Ephesians says uh, in chapter 1, verse 3 through 6. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Everybody say has. That's past tense. Has blessed us with every... Go ahead. You can say the black uh, italic words. I put those in there. Ready? Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He has made us accepted in the Beloved. You know, I didn't get to what I thought would be the point today. I even have a prop I didn't get to use. 
However, however, I think this goodness of God thing was the point. That we think that He is always disapproving of us. That we think that we have to earn His love. And this keeps us spiritually crippled and beggars and not asking for too much. And yet Jesus said, it brings my Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. The Apostle Paul said this, He that supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it because of your human performance? Or does he does it because you believe the message of Jesus Christ? And then he asked them again. He says, I ask you again. He who supplies the Spirit to you, Gathering Place Church and those online, he who supplies the Spirit to you, does he do it because you have done everything perfectly? I did the 30 for 30. I, well, I missed a couple days, but I, I prayed more than I missed. Uh, I tithe mostly, and I, I, I come to church, and I, I read the Bible, and I'm good to others. Okay, all of that is works. All of that is human effort and human performance. Trying to obtain God's favor, God's grace, God's blessings, God's miracles. This is what we do. We think we're earning these things from Him. And yet Paul says, let me ask you something. Did you receive the Holy Spirit... And does He work miracles among you because of your goodness or because of His goodness? Somebody answer the question. His goodness. Let's all stand. And let's just... Just thank God for His goodness. Just thank God for His goodness. Just thank God for His goodness, for His grace, for His mercy, for His faithfulness. There are lies that some of you are believing right now about God. I think that was what the Holy Spirit was having me emphasize today. There are lies you've been believing about God, how He thinks of you. He doesn't really like you. It's not His will to heal you. That sin you did disqualified you from what He's called you to do. Now you're on plan B. If He truly loved you, He, he, he would have healed you by now. All these are lies about the most benevolent God who's ever been known. The only true God, Rick. That's right. The only true God. Come on, let's just open our hands heavenward.
Lord, the two prophetic words you gave to us that were, you said, let every word be confirmed by two or more. That those who are thirsty and hungry can come to you and they will be filled. Lord, we come now, not by our goodness, but by yours. There are those in here today who have not come to you to be fed and to be given drink because they have not felt worthy. Lord, may your grace fill this place today. May your grace fill this place today. Josh, lead us. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me all my days. I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Till I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God All my life you have been faithful You're a good God Good Lord. All my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God I love your voice You have led me through the fire darkest night you are close like no other know you as a father know you as a friend I have lived in the goodness of God all my life all my life you have been faithful All my life you have been so, so good With every breath 